0: right everybody we're back here in the ryp radio studios we've uh, warmed up the equipment here and i uh, was walking outside this afternoon and and in, in the parking lot pulled somebody i'd never thought i'd see at ryan young products in the door walks bernie schreiber the only world champion america's ever had bernie what are you doing in louisville kentucky
1: well first of all thanks for thanks for having me here Um, It's been a pleasure to be here with you, Brad and Ryan, um, to visit the facility, Ryan Young Products. Um, What brought me here to Louisville, Kentucky is a site visit of the PGA Championship, which will be in Valhalla Golf Course uh, next year in August. And so we had our first site visit um, for the championship. It'll be here for golf.
0: So so being a trials fanatic, you couldn't help but come out here to ryan young products and see what the trials world is up
1: to absolutely <laughs> yeah i knew it was coming this way and i after the chance we had to meet at uh, at the world championship in tennessee um you know i knew you were up here and i thought wow this would be the perfect opportunity at least i couldn't come by and not not make a visit
0: well bernie came by here and and i couldn't help but drag him into the studio he's a little hesitant to come in here because he's not sure what we we're going to talk about i told him we were just going to have a conversation and That's really what we're going to do. So, Bernie, what I do to people when I bring them in here is I try to find out where they came from, how they came to our sport, and what what turned them on about it when they first got there. So I'm going to ask you to go way back in time to the first time you were ever exposed to trials or or a motorcycle in general. What brought you into motorcycling?
1: Well, (coughs) excuse me. as you know, I was born in, in Los Angeles. And when I was quite young, I was uh, had the opportunity uh, to be a lucky nine-year-old that had a paper route, and uh, grew up a little bit outside of Los Angeles, and we, you know, we had some hills back there, so that was my first experience and, uh, you know, exposure to a to a bicycle. So I was already on two wheels by the time I was nine, riding all over up and down the hills, and then, till one day I spotted somebody that had an engine. And I thought that'd be a lot easier. <laughs> Um, you know, I really liked motorcycles at that time. So I had a little mini bike that I had had that my father used. It was kind of like, a let's say, a lawnmower with two wheels. And then from there, I uh, was able to get like a Kawasaki 90, which was my first motorcycle. And now my did, fa- you,
0: did you use it in the dirt or on the street?
1: Um, we'd use it at the dirt. It was uh, kind of a mixed on-off-road Kawasaki 90 at that time. I don't remember what year it was exactly. But we were had a friend, my father had a friend that used to go out to the desert. So one day I was out there, of course, riding around. And he was riding in a circle until there was grooves in the sand. And I always asked the question, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm getting ready. I'm practicing for the next trials. We said, what was that? And that's kind of how I got started. So I went down to the first event. We were invited down to Saddleback Park. And that was the first time ever in my life I was exposed to trials bikes and, and the world of trials. And you were there on a Kawasaki 90? I was there on a Kawasaki 90. <laughs> uh, I rode a a kid's class. Um, I had to stand up, but the foot pegs kind of made it uncomfortable, so they had foot pegs for passengers. So I put those down and started put my feet back on those, <laughs> and I was riding around felt a lot, lot more comfortable standing up. And that's... Uh, that that was my first event that I had ever ridden.
0: And was this something your parents were thrilled that you were doing?
1: Um, I don't I don't think my my parents were. I think my father was. I think he enjoyed that I was able to go down there and compete with a with a friend of his and his son, who had like a, a libido, a boltaco libido at that time. And I was able to go down and compete. And the first first time I competed, I beat him. So that motivated my father eventually his friend quit the sport <laughs> and, uh, and went on to do other things,
0: but I continued. So what was your first actual trials bike that you could, you would say
1: was a, a purpose built trials bike? Um, well then I, after the libido, I had a, I mean, after the Kawasaki, I had a, li, I got a libido, a 125 libido with a yellow tank, looked like a big bumblebee. Um, it was quite difficult to ride. Um, but, uh, you know at the first actual trials bike was a sherpa t a 250 was the first one um, and that was way 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 back uh, that was sponsored actually by steve's botaco uh, in los angeles
0: now you're you're in southern california when you're doing this and that's the hotbed a lot of motorcycling sports were kind of born there desert racing motocross you know there was a a lot of other sports other than trials at the time that were going on why weren't you drawn to motocross or enduro or desert racing
1: you know i was i was you know that was i was drawn into that uh you know visually by 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 seeing the at saddleback park of course they'd have motocross races going on i had seen a couple flat track races and of course in the 70s you know, still, the, for me, the greatest film was a dream, was, the, was on any Sunday. You know, the very first film was Steve McQueen. Right. Um, was still a dream. You know? That was
0: filmed in your backyard, basically.
1: Yeah, that was filmed out in the deserts out there. And um, so, you know, that was also an appeal, but, you know, it's something, you know, what you dream to do and what you can actually do, you know, it's two different things. So I really enjoyed the, the trials writing. There was quite a nice community, it was very family oriented. Um, and I felt like that was, uh, that's where I felt comfortable and felt like this was, was a lot of
0: fun. Did it feel like riding trials came naturally to you? Was it something you really had to work at hard, or, or were you, you know, did you move up quickly through the classes? And
1: um, I always felt like I was a little small and the bike was too big, um, but as, <laughs> I, as I got bigger, you know, as I grew, you know, and became 13, 14, 15, I felt more comfortable, and I, don't f- I felt like I was quite natural at doing that. I had some experience you know, with a bicycle, and then I got on the motorcycle, and I felt quite, that was really quite comfortable. And I went through the classes quite quickly, um, actually, at that, at that age.
0: So, so you're at these local trials, and you're, you're obviously doing well. I guess at some point you, you were the best at your locals?
1: Uh, I can't say the best, one of the best. Um, as soon as we get up to the expert and the master class, you know we had still quite a quite a lot of good riders. Who
0: and are the names you were competing against at that point? At that time, it
1: still comes out the you know Marlon Whaley, Mark Edgar, Martin Belair. You know there was Mike Griffiths. There was a lot of local riders in Southern California that were, you know, competing, and and every year they had this big event you know El Trial de Espana, right, which drew a lot of people and and and, and some celebrities like Sammy Miller who would come out or come from England and actually ride there so you know that, that was uh, quite, uh, quite the event
0: so as, as you're coming up through your locals so are some of these other guys because I mean Martin Belair went on to be a, a what would be called a pro rider today and went on to the, to the TDN and I guess you did the same thing did you ever ride the US TDN were you ever on the team
1: yeah i mean i think I think I wrote that once or twice um you know the trial donation was not so so popular i mean it started i think
2: 82 or I
1: think eighty two or something like that yeah and i you know at that time when I was writing it was still quite very very individual and not such a such a team oh, let's I got say you. event in those years so Know, it was more about competing on a local level, and the California championship with all the competition and all the clubs that were in Southern California at that time. And motorcycling was quite big in Southern California in general. All types of motorcycling. You had a lot of media there, a lot of newspapers and magazines, and you know, I think the sport had grown out and became very competitive there. And then, so I did that on a local level, national level, and uh, started doing the, you know, the, the NATC. Uh, National Trials Championship. And
0: when did you win that? Uh, the first time was in 78. And you won the National Championship there. And how long was it from that point until you went over to Europe?
1: I had already went uh, to Europe before I'd won the National Championship.
0: Okay, now explain that to me. <laughs> what? <laughs> So you haven't won a national championship, but yet you decide, I'm going over to, to Europe to do what?
1: Well, you know, in, in, in those days, you know, the national championship, I had, I had already won some events, but not the championship itself because, you know, I had not rode it enough. You know, I was still young, um, so I still wasn't 18 years old and still driving around. But when I, when I won the El Trao de España, won the trip, to Europe is what exposed me to Europe. So.
0: Oh, and a lot of our listeners probably won't be aware of that. But back then, if you won the El Trial, you won funding to go over to Europe? Is that how it worked? Yeah.
1: A, a lot of the funds that were raised during the El Trial de España event, which was thousands of people came out and spectators that paid to get in, um, you know, all the funds from that, they would then pick the younger riders and some older, other riders to go over and compete in Europe or at least take a trip to Europe as a, as a reward from, from, from that event. And that's why they had quite a few different riders there. And that was my first exposure to the, to the European, you know.
0: So, so you trip. won the L trial, and then all of a sudden you're able to go over Europe, and you just pick up and go. How long did you stay? Was that just a r- real quick trip over you and over? No, the
1: first trip I won was in 1974. So I went over to Spain, and I was able to visit the factory of Botaco, I visited the factory of Montesa, and then from there, you know, it was it, I went to watch the World Championship, but at that time, it was not a World Championship, it was a, it was a European Championship. So it didn't become a World Championship, FIM, until 1975. And then when I went back the second time, I was already became sponsored by Botaco and Botaco was interested in developing the U.S. market and they wanted a rider to sponsor and during my trip you know we Botaco had decided with the importer to you know get me to go over to Europe and try to make a test some test events and see how I do when I turned 18 years old and I decided yeah I'll accept that let's let's try it
0: So you go over to to Europe just to watch. You you weren't going to ride a World Round while you were over there?
1: Well, I wasn't old enough the first time. Oh,
0: so there was an age
1: limit even back then. (laughs) Exactly. You had to be 18. So then in 1976, when I was 17, I went back for the Scottish six days.
0: And you wrote, did you write that? I watched
1: again. Oh, no. So I was able to watch (laughs) the Scottish at that time. And then uh, I was able to ride uh, one or two sections in the Scottish in 1976 and i went home and then i went back to officially start the season in uh, 2000 uh, i mean in 1977 that was my first year
0: that was your first year of the
1: world championships
0: Mm -hmm. so you'd already been over there a couple times and just as a spectator got to see how things were working and that was just one of your goals is to go over there and actually ride the world around but you you weren't a national champion at that point no so, so you were one of the better riders in America, but not the national champion. I
1: was Bultaco's best rider.
0: Oh, well, that's a good point. <laughs> and they were your sponsor. So now you're, you're coming out. If you came out of America now not being the number one rider, I think you'd really struggle over in Europe to ride that top line because back then there was only one line. Is, is that correct? In the world level, there was just the world class
1: that's correct yeah you know what one of the reasons that you know i was able to go over you know of course if you look at boltaco's history of course montessa boltaco have a quite a a long history and montessa even longer because but before the 1980s boltaco had won the european championship in 1974 1975 they won the world championship 1976 1977 1978 so they had a lot, uh, they had quite a big team. They had the French champion with Charles Coutard. They had the British champion with Martin Lampkin. They had a Finnish champion with Iriel Vesterinen. So all the, the team was strong. So they were looking for a US champion by taking me already before to there to train me in Europe so I could come back to the US. But what they didn't think was gonna happen was I went to Europe and started beating their own team members on the european soil and that that that's why i went for a test event i didn't ride the whole season in 1977 i just rode some test events but i you know i finished already you know in the top 10 when i went over in the first couple of events
0: now see this is amazing because i never knew this backstory Uh, i always thought that you had had ridden in america obtained you know your peak of your career and headed over to Europe to just storm Europe. But you you went over there on behalf of Bull Taco to build interest in trials in America. Absolutely. And while you were there, you just happened to start beating some of the people that that
1: they didn't think you would beat. Yeah, and I was by far the youngest rider on their whole world team that they had, where they had riders from different countries, from Spain, Italy, France, England, Belgium, Germany. And uh, I was one of the youngest riders, so they saw the potential... Me so they after the season had gone by the first year I finished already seventh in the world, and they said, "Wow, well, maybe it's better we bring him back." <laughs> you know, next year, seventy-eight.
0: Yeah, so this was meant to be a one-year experiment, just to kind of boost things in in the boost U.S. Boost things up, see how I could do. Of course, send you, know, you back as this amazing rider to yeah, to, and, after, to and learn and develop with the best in the world, and that's that's what happened. So so you're over there now. Now this now just a little bit more backstory what were your parents doing at this time did they like say hey bernie yeah go over to europe that sounds like a great idea this is their 17 year old son yeah well
1: 18 yeah Yeah, 18 yeah so yeah that was they
0: just thought it was a great idea and they weren't they weren't a little bit timid about it or anything were they world travelers your parents no they
1: were not world travelers i mean my mother was born in ireland so she you know and my father in new york so i mean they're you know, she was in, she immigrated to the United States, so she wasn't afraid of Europe. I mean, she was. Uh, but she they was, weren't going over there with you. Absolutely not. We're going <laughs> over. and uh, Couldn't afford to go over. Neither could I. That's why I needed. A but sponsor. they were
0: really were they behind you a hundred percent? Absolutely. And from and the, thought very, it was from great the
1: very you beginning, knew. they were always behind the. You know, the, the sport of trials and that supported
0: me. So when you went back over as a nineteen-year-old now, did you? had you pretty much decided that you were going to stay in Europe until you were able to win that championship
1: or yeah. attain at least the highest ranking you could? You know, after the first year in 1977, I have to admit, I mean, that was, it was, I suffered. You know, I arrived in Belgium, you know, a $100 and a pair of rubber boots, and I, you know. That remember, can't be good. It was, it was snowing. You know, I hadn't seen the snow for quite some time, unless I went up to Mammoth Mountain or somewhere <laughs> in California. I mean, but you know, it was cold. It was, uh, the, the terrain was very difficult, uh, mud everywhere and stuff like that. And the people, I you know, times were different back then. You know, we didn't have iPhones and GPS. We couldn't call. We couldn't do things. You know, sometimes we could send a telex. <laughs> you know, Boy, but, that's you know, something from the
0: past.
1: <laughs> yeah, so that's what it was. We didn't have, you know, even fax machines. You you could order a phone call, make a phone call from certain countries and wait. You know, but it was a little bit different back then. So I you know, I suffered quite a bit, you know, I've come from California or Los Angeles.
0: I mean, were you? Did you get used to the food really quickly, or did you even struggle with the food and the language barriers? Well, actually, it got
1: you know, it got worse because I spent six months or seven months in Belgium, where the food was actually quite good, and then I moved to the UK. And you know, people talk about the recession, but you know, yeah. in the late 70s, England was not in recession; it was in depression, and uh, and the food is definitely not good there. And <laughs> so, the food was not either on top of the list. The weather was not on top of the list. I still have a lot of friends from the UK I tell them call me when the when the sun comes out I never heard from them again
2: <laughs> so
1: it was tough yeah so I moved to, to England at that time so when did it get more comfortable and easier for you I, I think like everything you, you become more motivated based on your performance in whatever you do and I think that as soon as I started finally I won a world championship event in 1978 in France was my first ever world win
0: what in the world did that feel like
1: well to do that in France you know yeah, cause I mean, they were it, the was great, it was great to win you know and, and, and to do that in France but you know and then I think it was after that I won in Spain you know which was to do that on the soil where Botaco was from and, you know, have a congratulations from Mr. Bolto. You know, from that time, I think it was, that was really the highlight or one of the greatest events ever. Thousands and thousands, I mean, I think that 80,000 people or something used to go to those events. American Be American an American one. An American one on a botaco in Barcelona, Spain, or, in, you know, <laughs> in Catalonia, let's say, at that time was, was something.
0: There wasn't much anti-United
1: States or anti-American at sentiment that, at that time? Not at all. No. You know, they were quite pro- you know pro American but so yeah, I mean, it was good, I think so that's where the motivation probably that was the turning point, even though it was difficult again, you know each year, I always struggled at the beginning of the year because of the cold weather, and they always started the season in in the u k or Belgium or Ireland, and you know it was just I never got warm until till spring, <laughs> you know so when you when you went over there
0: and you were riding for actual voltaco. was the support unbelievable compared to what you had in the united states were they building bikes for you i guess is what everybody would be wondering did you get special engines and special parts and
1: well not not so much as you'd think they were pretty standard bikes um you know they were not some factory special model Um, and everybody was treated equally i mean So, you know, I might have been the best American, but there was a there was a best rider from France, there was a best rider from Spain, there was a best rider from UK, you know, and and he might win the next weekend. So why would he get something special and the other one wouldn't? (laughs) You know, and, and, and it was always that kind of that thing. And if there was something new, you know, they'd want everybody to try it. So there wasn't a real
0: pecking order with the riders. It was just everybody got treated pretty much the
1: same. Pretty much the same. I would say that always the world champion who was Ariel Vesterina at that time, you know, always the one that was on the top would probably get the most support. Which was, was quite quite normal. I now think.
0: you obviously had to beat him in Spain on a bulldog.
1: Yes I did, yeah. So, so the
0: so how how does that happen? I mean he, he had to be one of your idols when you first got over to Europe. And then you're, you kept getting closer and closer and closer until you could finally beat him? Because he had to seem unbeatable when you first went to Europe.
1: Yeah, but it took, you know, he was three years world champion. Yeah. So it took from the, my very beginning to, it took three years to actually become the best, you know, in the world. So he was a very competitive rider. I'm sure you've read a lot of stories about him, but, you know, we'd call him the Iceman. So he wasn't your buddy right before the event? <laughs> no, not, not before or after or too much during, you know. But uh, <laughs> And he's still, I saw him two years ago in France. He's, he's still telling me, you know, stories back when. Do you remember <laughs> when, you know, and he's very serious about it. So it's uh, he was very competitive, there was no doubt.
0: Now, now, when you're over there and you're riding these world championships, for Bull Taco, do they have, like, did you have as many motorcycles as you needed? Did you have fresh bikes all the time or a practice bike and a competition bike? Or
1: um, prob- Most of the time we had like two bikes, but, you know, it would only come after. We always had like a team support bike or something like that, but I wouldn't just have two new bikes at once, you know. But I'd get two or three or even the year I won the world championship, I think I had four, four new bikes, so... Every time we had the US Canadian event, World Championship, we'd ship bikes over and not ship them back, usually. So that was always a chance to get a new bike and then keep it here. (laughs) So I could use that on the National Championship as well. We'd always get a new bike at the start of the season. We'd always get a new bike and throw it away after the Scottish. (laughs) Because that was the end of the bike, actually.
0: Scottish would just. (coughs) Yeah, and practicing in Spain.
1: you know, where it's dry or in Italy where it was dry, it was very different than practicing in England. You know, you had mud from head to toe and inside the engine and filters <laughs> and, you know, you'd be under, oh, some section would always take you underwater. I never understood that, but, you know, in <laughs> Ireland every year at the start of the season, the first section was like a, you know, a t- three-foot mud bog. So the first thing you do is go in, you had no more brakes. your boots were full of mud and it's freezing cold I I never understood the second section they'd start you on the top and you have it like a downhill you know <laughs> so that's the way trials was so so did you have a mechanic when you were yeah it was like a team a mechanic world. not an in with Botaco's times there was no like you know appropriate mechanic that was for you you had like a team mechanic there was a truck with parts and if you needed something they would always help you know So you worked on your own bike a lot? Pretty much a lot, yeah, on your own bike. You'd take care of your own bike. and You had to learn that because the mechanics weren't there 365 days a year, so you had to fix. So would you
0: say you're a pretty good mechanic?
1: I was. Yeah. I was. You
0: had to learn to be. Were you a good mechanic at 17 when you left the United
1: States? I think I was a pretty good mechanic. Um, So
0: your father didn't take care of your bike and nobody else did? You always took care of your bikes?
1: Yeah, pretty much all the time took care of my bikes, you know. But, you know, it's. To have a Yamaha made in Japan be a good mechanic is one thing, but to have a bike made in Spain, you know, in those days, you know, was not the, the highest quality in the world. You know. So as time gone by, you know, a lot of the, the quality of the product had improved a lot, but you had to take care of them quite a bit.
0: Would people give you special parts like somebody that's making, like Renthal, they had to be starting to make handlebars and stuff back then. Did you get special parts like that early on that were people were trying to test it into the competition or special tires i'm just trying to look for anything that sounds like you guys were all on the same yeah we had like factory
1: contracts and they wanted to always they always wanted us to ride what they sell they always wanted to sell what we rode yeah they didn't want to make you know have the riders with specialty you know products but you know they would always look into doing something special you know we would have little things like different foot peg positions some of us would have a little bit longer or shorter or, you know, the pivot point on the on the swing arm would be moved up like a half an inch. Um, some little suspension adjustments and things like that, but not so much, actually.
0: Yeah, it doesn't sound like things have changed that much because it's just like Pat Smodgy. People are always saying, well, his bikes are special, but, you know, they're they a Sherco there. They're pretty much stock bikes that he takes out there and rides. They may have different foot pegs on them, like you're saying, or handlebars that, that he likes the feel of. But
1: Yeah, m- probably most of the equipment, like back then, it was like even equipment was still probably better than some of us could ride, you know, just like it is today, you know, it's the same, same thing.
0: Now, what about logistics, getting around there to the events and stuff? Did you have, like, a team truck or something you
1: traveled in, or did you have to get your own way to the events? We had to get our own way to the event, and then there was like a team truck. So you know they would take also the bike sometimes to to certain events, or, or sometimes we would transport them. It just depends on where we were going from where to where, and, and you know sometimes we'd use it both ways. But sometimes we'd go just with a with a bike with a trailer. Um, to certain events.
0: And you won your world championship. What what was that season like? Can you explain that season? Was it just a cakewalk or did you really have to fight?
1: No, you always have to fight, you know. <laughs> there's there's always something to fight, you know, for. How many it's rounds were there? There was 12 rounds. 12 you rounds, know, it's always 12. I don't remember every single every single, you know, event, but Yeah. I remember as always as a year three two years prior to, you know, I struggled in the beginning and had no hope that I could win the championship again. It was, that was probably the most frustrating year, was 1979, actually. So you see, when, you, when you're most frustrated, sometimes you get results from that. <laughs> so I had a really bad start to the season, but then started to, as soon as it warmed up, and I started winning, I think I won France, Spain, Italy. There was like three or four, five events that year, including the final event. But it was very, very close, right until the end. It there wasn't was locked up at the final Not, final not until the last event, so in Czech wow. Republic was the last, re- last event. And I remember that very well because there was a Scandinavian tour in Sweden and Finland. And um, Mr. Renan was very favored by his national public and Czechers, especially on some of the scores. <laughs> I was a little frustrated <laughs> after that. And, but uh, the last event was in Czech Republic.
0: And did so, it come down to the last loop, the last section? No, or?
1: actually, that the first lap, You know, I still remember, I don't remember any points. I had like 12, and Duster Renan came in. He was really the main challenger, and I think he had like 28 points Wow! on the first lap. And I finished the whole event with like 22 total. <laughs> so, so you so, won it yeah.
0: after the first lap. Huh?
1: Basically, it was, yeah, and that was it. Yeah. That's focus.
0: Okay, so now you're crowned world champion. How did your life change after that? Then
1: the work starts. <laughs> yeah, you know it's always the same. It's it's you know, to, to win something, it's it's difficult, but to keep it's even more difficult. Whatever it is.
0: Yeah, well that's that's true in life, isn't it?
1: Exactly, and I think that that's always the most difficult thing. So you can always say well you know and at that time botaco was already struggling spain was an economic very difficult disaster
0: times.
1: yeah and um you know botaco you know had informed me i remember i won the world championship and they they told me basically before the end that i was probably chances are you wouldn't get a bonus because they didn't have the money for that so you know it shows again you're not really riding for just for the money <laughs> especially when you're young and coming up because the thing you want is that title you know
0: so you won the world championship and then they couldn't pay you the bonus?
1: Couldn't pay the bonus and went bankrupt. Oh,
0: brother.
1: <laughs> so luckily we had a strong support at that time from Cumberfords in, in the UK. And they were able to to maintain the year-end and the beginning of the next year. And, and at the same time, Edeljet came on board. So I was still using like a Bull Taco for a while. And then we had a white frame. And then we had a, a green bike. And then... And from there I went on to the to the next year, 1980. So I should have won that, that year, I think. That was my, definitely had the best results. I think Wolf Carlson won one event and that was it. And still won the championship and I won six.
0: But you had bike problems.
1: I had the bike problem, I didn't finish. Uh, I think there was one other event, I had a really bad result. But yeah.
0: you won six
1: events. Six events and then I had some bad results. <laughs> in the beginning of the year, again in the beginning of the season, yeah you know, struggled so eighty nineteen eighty nineteen eighty one was a very very difficult uh, with the product, so it's not just the rider, you know you have to also have a good team and a good bike and a good support good support
0: so so after you've won this world championship when when do you actually you, you won a national here after that point?
1: I won it, I think in 78, I rode the world championship, the the national championship as well in 1978. So you did both. Uh Uh-huh. That has to be a real challenge. Yeah, it it was good. It was nice to come back, actually, and ride. I was actually motivated to to ride 78.
0: But the traveling would have to be crazy.
1: Yeah, but I was trying to get back as, as much as I could in the free time between, you know, to come back to the U.S. because it seemed like I was in Europe for... Yeah. For years, and that was just months. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's when it was hard for you.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was tough. Yeah. So, but then you get used to it after a while.
0: And you were telling me you competed in how many world events?
1: I think it was 107.
0: Yeah, that's an incredible yeah. number. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So. so then you, you finished, you've, you've won your world championship. Why didn't you come home? Why didn't you come back to the U.S.? You stayed over in Europe after that
1: point. Yeah, but I think that that, you know, I had already set myself a career, you know, doing that, so that that was my life. I mean, that's all I did. So 100% racing, you know, riding trials, that was my life already built, you know, into, for over three years, I had built myself into a structure. I think there was a couple of things that happened. I started to spend more and more time overseas because there was a change in the manufacturer. Then I moved to another country. Then they started doing these indoor trials, which kind of was off season, you know. And 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 that also kept even more busy. You know, there's a lot of other indoors like Kickstart had started in the UK, and then Barcelona had their their indoor trials, and then every country was trying to to host that and of course they wanted the top riders in the world and so I was called upon a lot of times actually making almost as much money doing that than, than doing the outdoor world championship and so that's kind of what kept me there most of the time so.
0: so before you knew it you were a comfortable European you were more comfortable there than you were coming home or coming to the US um. at some point that had to happen
1: at some point that happened, but I don't think it was then. I think it came way, 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 way after. Comfortable European, <laughs> difficult. Yeah, that was difficult. That didn't come until, until much, much later in my well, life. Well, I'll
0: tell you what, Pat Smagiel will love to hear that because he's never been comfortable going over to Europe, and you know, knows that that's not not in his destiny just because he can't get comfortable over there. So to hear that you were a little uncomfortable over there,
1: definitely it my uncomfortable. Way. <laughs> it's you know it's, it's it's now I love Europe you know and, and uh, I think it's difficult to to come back here actually. Yeah. Um. So there's other things that that I find difficulty with and then you know but it's important is to understand to live in a country, understand the people, understand the culture, speak the language. And and from there then you can and, and to do that you need to actually work in a country. 'Cause you don't really understand the people just by traveling around to events. You need to work a day in and day out with people and, and speak the language and understand where they're from. That you can feel comfortable, at least it helps. Okay, now to
0: explain explain to me your last time on the trials bike competing at the world level when you knew you weren't gonna get back on that bike again.
1: I think it was the last world championship that I rode here in the US, which was I think in 1987. Had you announced a retirement at that point or you were just... I I don't think I had announced it yet, I think it was in 1987, I don't remember exactly where the event was, but I remember that this, I remember the first time, I mean already like two or three years before when I started to see Indoor sections that started to scare me, but they were so dangerous that I thought either I'm getting too old for this or, <laughs> or something's happening you know, and when I started to see the world championship become that way were the sections you know where i I didn't feel like there was no chance i could could do that. you know I decided that that was the end, you know and that even the national championship i think i that was the last year, so it was eighty seven I don't remember where the world round was.
2: In Pennsylvania.
1: Pennsylvania, yeah. I, I think that was exactly where it's at. And I remember some sections there on rocks and jumping on top of stuff. and I just didn't have the technique for that. And it just, um, I said, you know, that was enough for me. So now you're
0: going to walk away from trials. Uh-huh. You know that's not going to be where your living comes from anymore. And you're in Europe. You're going to live there. What do you do from there?
1: That's tough. <laughs> that's tough. Well, that that that's where I started to do the trial schools, you know, right after I had stopped that and, and was still doing some trial schools to see where I was, you know, and trying to invent, if you remember the Gopo. Yeah. I tried oh, yeah. To, to do this thing where you could help, you know, maybe trials riders or doing trials events. <clears throat> so from there I went, you know, forward on that to see if I could develop it. And then, you know, one thing led to another, and that's where I encountered uh, the whole team at Malcolm Smith Products, who was just on a project. I thought I was going to come back here and do something. And they, when they, they were talking about their business plan, it was really they were looking for somebody, an American, that had experience in Europe. So basically, they, they kind of sent me back there to do the job. <laughs> and that was, kinda my, that was my first, uh, I would say, first real job. In fact, that's how they pronounced it to me. Would you like a real job? And, uh,
0: that's got to be a tough realization that there's there's something. You know that, that when you're competing in motorcycles, there's going to be some day that you're not going to do it anymore. And you have to do something else. And it's hard to imagine what that would be, I'm sure, when you're.
1: It's uh, you know, that's always a difficult situation. I'm sure a lot of writers or athletes encounter that, especially when you start young and go abroad. You know, I never graduated any university or went to any college um, or acquired any MBA status. You know, I always say I don't have those three letters, but you know, I think I learned a lot of the. the Yeah, you've been extremely successful. Yeah, well, I don't know, but I think I've I learned a lot of the rest of the alphabet. So I'm not maintaining those three letters, but there's a lot of other things that you can learn in life. Um, and, and Malcolm Smith was a, was a great learning experience. I was able to, to go around and understand trade shows, even though I'd been there as an athlete, I and mean, you can jump around on a bike. And when you start selling product, understanding the distribution, you know, and how it's set up and, and what their goals are and all the marketing and sales and everything and logistics around the, the product and exporting, you know, it was uh, it was quite interesting, and I, I enjoyed that change. It was a different type of challenge. Um, I think trials is still one of those sports where you can maybe uh, you think a little bit more than you would in, in road racing, or you know, or some other types of motorcycle disciplines. But uh, I, I enjoyed that part.
0: Yeah, trials is still a very heavily technique form of motorcycle. You have to I think you have to have the, the most techniques in your bag of tricks for for trials that you do for for any type of motorcycle.
1: It, I think it's still the, the yeah the ballet and the and the basics of all all motorcycling and uh, now that I'm in golf, I find a lot of uh, crossover between golf and, and and trial actually. It's very similar mentally it's very similar. besides
0: the scoring system, some of the others having low score winning.
1: Yeah, besides yeah. the scoring. No, I yeah. mean, you know, trials is a very unique sport. I mean, people don't, you know, being involved with the Olympic Games and and a lot of other sports and athletes. and uh, Just a few weeks ago, I, I spent some time with Michael Phelps. And, and I have to be with Michael on the first nine holes. He plays golf a lot now. And uh, we were out on the, on the nine holes we were playing, and then he did the back nine. I didn't go out. We were walking, but then we brought him in and did an interview. This was in Switzerland. And... Uh, so he was doing, inter- and the journalist asked him an interesting question, you know, why do you like golf so much? And his answer was, you know, wherever I go around the world to any Olympic Games, any village, you know, the pool is always the same length, it's always the same width, it's always the same depth, it's always the same temperature, and the black line is always in the same place. You know, and there's a lot of sports like that, you know, whether it be diving or... Swimming or athletics or, you know, and when it says golf, I love it because everywhere I go is something different. Every hole is different. Every terrain is different. If you play in Scottsdale, Arizona, or you play in Scott, you know, St Andrews, Scotland, you know, everything's different. Every single thing is different. It's like every section on a trials bike. You have to encounter a new challenge. Um, you have to look at it. You have to analyze how you're going to do your shot. It's the same. It's exactly the same and everything it's always a new challenge and I think that's what people that get into trials what they like the most about it it's never the same I mean, it's never repetitive uh, every time it's different so
0: after competing all those years and then you're you're in your professional career did you make any time for motorcycling after that were you able to ride go out and ride for fun trials or
1: well I did you know I did some riding but not you know of course you know in Switzerland if the trials bike you know Anywhere that's not on private property, they probably put you in jail and prison. <laughs> you know, so they're very ecology. You know, it's yeah. difficult to get out. So I didn't really have a chance much. You know, over the last fifteen years, when I was in France, I got a chance to do a lot more. Did a lot of things with Joe Borgat, and we went out riding in the Alps and things like that. But not so not so much time actually. When's the last time you've been on a motorcycle? The last time, Uh just riding around. The actual last trials bike that I was on was was in two thousand and eleven. So, and uh, it was a lot of fun, a lot of work, and a lot of pain. Uh, <laughs> but a lot, yeah, you know, all together. So it was it was a, it was a great time. But I still think those new modern bikes are a lot easier to ride, and I I think I would enjoy riding those <laughs> a little more than the old vintage ones.
0: Well, so, you're going to be coming to Louisville, uh, I guess, in the future for this. Uh-huh. I'll be here next
1: August for, for 10 days.
0: What if, we, what if we work out a ride for you then? That'd be you great. I, I,
1: hope to, I hope to come back before even one more time so, well, for the test. Maybe we,
0: can, maybe we can hook a ride up for you. I hope so. Take you out riding. I look forward to it. <laughs> well, you know, you've been such an influential person for, for many people in trials. I mean, the, your trials book is probably the, the best-known trials training guide on this earth it's it's in so many people's hands and you know i think that was that was a testament in at trials training center when you showed up for an autograph session there during the last world round i don't know how many copies of that book i saw walking around there but it was a lot and people had pulled them out of their drawers and from under their beds or wherever they were keeping them and brought them in for you to sign what was that like when you pulled up there in that van and stepped out of that van there at trials training center
1: yeah i mean that that was a very emotional moment, actually. Yeah, uh, it would have to, to be. It to was emotional for
0: me just watching it.
1: Yeah, I was I uh, was uh, quite surprised to see all the all the fans or supporters of the past that, uh, you know, were down there in Tennessee and, and came with, not just the trials book, but I mean, just uh, you know, all all kinds of stuff that they had pulled out of the wor- woodwork and and brought back some stories that that I that actually came to mind after, but, I, you know, it was, it was quite emotional. They were asking a lot of good questions and uh, <laughs> bringing out a lot of good signatures and, and things like that from the past, you know. But and you were so patient to the stand there because I know it was way
0: beyond what you, what I, you had thought you I were going to do. <laughs> <laughs> and to give everybody out there an idea, we, we had uh, set up at the World Round for him to start signing. I guess it was around 4 o'clock in the afternoon. It was after the competition. And I was working the booth where he was going to be, and by about noon, I pretty well understood that that there was going to be a mob up there. And and by a mob, I'm talking a couple hundred people, you know, which was which is incredible for for you know out there in the middle of a field in Tennessee. And um, during that time, I saw Bernie Schreiber stickers, I saw Bernie Schreiber articles, I saw Bernie Schreiber magazines, I saw everything collectible that people had that they had been keeping over the last 30 years and when when bernie pulled up there 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 had to be at least 200 people in line they had magazines and books and motorcycles there were guys pushing motorcycles up for you to sign and you know your your commitment to you know we had anticipated maybe 50 60 people coming up to get autographs this guy sat bernie sat there for I'd think it was two or three hours, solid signing signatures, nonstop.
1: Yeah. So I hope I hope it was for the benefit <laughs> of the tri- trial donations, and I hope that everybody. It was. Will, you
0: raised more money that. in that in that one instance than than we've raised over the last couple of years. So uh-huh. it was it was incredible. And yeah. fitting, you know, for what what a legend that that you've become in in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And since you had been in Europe so long, I think people just were, you know, ready to see Bernie Schreiber again.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> well, hopefully it'll be not 30 years again.
0: Yeah. You are living in the United States now. Where where are you yeah, living at this point? Now
1: I'm based down in Palm Beach, uh, working in golf for the PGA of America. That's their headquarters uh, for all their golf initiatives here in the United States. And we have a corporate office up in New Jersey, uh, just across, you know, and so, but We decided i'd base base down here in the the palm beach area and run run all our golf out of there
0: that's not a bad gig for a kid who as you said you graduated high school i would take it
1: yeah i graduated high school
0: so for a high school graduate (laughs) and a motorcycle motorcycle hobo for a while over in europe it didn't do too bad
1: (laughs) no it's been good it's been a nice nice journey nice nice journey
0: well, we, we better let you go. We've, we've been here now 46 minutes in this interview, but I told you it was only going to be a couple, and that's a couple that's to right. me. <laughs> we appreciate you taking the time yeah. to come in here and talk to us. I'm sure there's about a million other things we could discuss. but Next but time. Yeah, next time. We'll get you back here and maybe okay. take you out riding and have some fun.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks a
0: lot, Brad. Yeah, for those of you didn't hear him pipe up a little bit in the interview, Ryan Young's been sitting in here. He probably has a few things to say. You want to say anything, Ryan?
2: Yeah, it's just an honor having Bernie here. Uh, Like you said, that Bernie Schreiber book, we all had that. I was lucky enough to get one probably when I was 12 years old. and Bernie was an idol of mine, and it was uh, amazing. I got to ride actually against Bernie Schreiber in that 1987 season also. We did a week-long trial school together before the world round also so just to be able to spend some time with Bernie compete with him and like you said it's just people are so hungry to have Bernie Schreiber back as he spent so much time in Europe and that's why everybody flocked over there to to get the signatures because Bernie's just uh, a god to most any trials rider here in America and it's just a pleasure knowing him and having him here in in my business now is just amazing he's a great guy he spent some time at our family's house back in the 70's when he was riding Bull Taco my dad was a a dealer, and organizer of the event, and it's just an honor to to know Bernie and to have him here in the U.S. again. It's it's awesome. Well, Thank let you me very
0: much. let me ask you one question. I know what what kind of a competitor you are. Were you mad when he came back and beat you?
2: No, not at all. <laughs> no, was...
0: because the way I hear it is you were leading when halfway through the season he went back to Europe and spent some time back in Europe and came back and really killed you.
2: Yeah, that just shows who the who the better <laughs> better competitor was. Cuz uh, I was working hard, but he worked even harder. He went back and came back and really won the last two events really easily. So, I think he was probably rusty in the beginning of 87 and then said, "Hey, this little Ryan guy's uh got something, so I better go practice a little bit." So, I'm sure he just practiced a little bit and and showed showed me who was boss. So, it was it was fun. Great times. Thank you again, Bernie. Thank you.
0: All right, well, we'll go ahead and wrap up this session of RYP Radio. We thank everybody for tuning in, and, uh, you know, put, send us a comment if you have any comment on this or you have anybody else that you want us to talk to or try and rope into an interview. And, again, we'll, um, we'll just wrap up this one, and uh, until the next time.